0: Welcome to Acton Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, Executive Producer. The United States is consumed with questions regarding race, the legacy of slavery, and the nature of social justice. Where are people of faith to turn? For most of the last 2,000 years, Christians have believed that God deals with nations as nations, and enters into closer relations with societies that claim him as Lord. This belief in the national covenant, only recently out of fashion, is where Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and Martin Luther King Jr. turned when faced with such questions in their own time. In this episode, Acton's Dan Huger talks with Gerald McDermott, the editor of the new book, Race and Covenant, Recovering the Religious Roots for American Reconciliation about the ideas of national covenant in scripture, history, and contemporary American society, and how a revitalization of this idea could help lead to racial reconciliation. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Actonline Line on our website at actinorg slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act in Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.
1: Today I'm joined by Gerald McDermott recently retired from the Anglican Chair of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School. He is the author, co-author, and editor of more than 20 books. His co-authored, Theology of Jonathan Edwards from Oxford University Press, was Christianity Today's Book of the Year in Theology and Ethics for 2013. He is editor of a new book, the subject of our conversation today, Race and Covenant, Recovering the Religious Roots for American Reconciliation published by the Acton Institute. Jerry, welcome to Acton Line, and thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you, Dan.
1: There's an ongoing uh, conversation about race in America. What does a theological perspective bring to this conversation, both, both for people of faith and for American citizens writ large?
2: Well, this country is polarized in more ways than one. Uh, but including on the subject of race, we really need spiritual and emotional healing. And really it's only religion that has the deep resources for what is needed for spiritual and emotional uh, healing, namely forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance, recommitment to our national ideals. And especially the Judeo Christian concept of covenant, that God is in a personal relationship with his people. People of faith can show people who are looking for faith or who have no faith what forgiveness looks like and how to repent and achieve reconciliation. That a part from these deep religious roots and this rich theological heritage is very very difficult.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so as as, as examples and models, um, drawing on that rich tradition. Now now the contributions in this volume all employ a particular theological tradition, uh, that of national covenant. Um, And they think through a wide array of issues touching upon race and American life using this framework. Just what is, is that national covenant?
2: Well, this is the idea, Dan, that God deals with a whole people, a whole society, a whole nation, and not just with individuals. It pertains to this life, not the next life. It means that God judges a whole people um, and, and blesses them and punishes them on the basis of this whole peoples, this whole nation's, this whole society's uh, response to God's law. Now, the National Covenant presumes that uh, God's law is available to every human being. and. And this is the Christian tradition. You see this in St. Paul, and you also see it uh, in the the what Jews call the Noachite commandments, which are basically the Ten Commandments um, in the human conscience. And Paul talks specifically about the human conscience and God's law being on the human conscience in Romans chapter two. And so the idea here is that when a nation and particularly a nation that has claimed God as its Lord, breaks God's laws in big ways, then just as God did to ancient Israel, he sends that nation into a kind of exile. uh, And that God calls upon that nation to come out of exile and gives directions on how to come out of exile. That is recognizing Sin, repenting, and making some sort of atonement as a nation. And so uh, when, when you're talking about a country, politically, it means renewing that country's commitment to its national ideals. So in our case, liberty and justice for all, that that's a way uh, to to find spiritual renewal through this concept of and this reality of, as historic Jews and historic Christians would say, of covenant and particularly national covenant.
1: So, so this idea of national covenant it has it has a rich scriptural tradition which you've alluded to both in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. Um, what are the broad outlines of how Christian theologians and churchmen have adapted that to their own contexts. Um, you know, uh, we, we alluded to the notion of the national covenant in ancient Israel, but this is this is this is a broader and broader tradition that extends beyond the nation of Israel and, intended and into the life of, of of many nations historically who have reflected upon this tradition.
2: Right, and there are reasons why many nations. Uh, you know, particularly the nations that uh, in the past um, called themselves Christian nations. Um, there's a reason why they they believed that God would deal with them similarly to the ways in which he dealt with biblical Israel, because um, there are hints in the Bible that God does this. Uh, um, in Amos chapter nine, the prophet <clears throat> talks about uh God having special covenantal relationships with the Kushites, the Ethiopians, and with the Philistines and with the Syrians. So the Bible itself, uh, and and especially the Hebrew Bible, talks about God dealing with other countries in ways similar to the ways he dealt with Israel. Now, again, uh, because this concept is so foreign to most of us and even to most Christians since about the 1960s. Um, The idea is that God will bless a whole nation. God will punish a whole nation um, because of his covenant with that nation. And he makes covenants with those nations that claim him particularly. Um, So he enters into a more intimate, you might say, relationship with those societies that historically have claimed him as Lord. Now, a, a few examples, uh, because you asked for a few examples, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the early church believed that God was blessing Constantine in the fourth century because Constantine took the Roman Empire and tried. Well, he he legalized Christianity and he tried to, as best he could, uh, redirect the Roman Empire toward the worship of the true God, the God of Israel, who uh, had incarnated his son in Jesus of Nazareth. And so um, the early church interpreted, particularly the first great uh, Christian uh, historian, Eusebius, um, um, interpreted the successes of the early Byzantine empire as blessings from God on uh, the roman empire's repentance from idolatry and embrace over the course of the fourth century the true god uh, the god of israel incarnated in jesus of the christian god Uh, now another example in history in western history is the 17th century england Uh, before cromwell and charles ii uh, jews had been kept out of England, and uh, the English had persecuted Jews. But Cromwell changed that, and Charles II uh, sustained that change by Cromwell. So Jews started to be welcomed back. And it's really interesting, you read histories in the 19th century uh, written by English historians, and they look back and they say, we believe that God has blessed England here. Here we are with the greatest empire in the world at the time in the 19th century, Uh, and and perhaps in the history of the world. And we believe that God is blessing us since we have not only embraced the true God, but we also have repented from our sin against the Jews. Um, And it's no wonder that since the 17th century, we have prospered uh, as a nation. God has, it deals with us as a nation, just as he dealt with ancient Israel. He blesses us when we try to order our affairs in general accord with his laws, and he punishes us when we break his laws as a nation.
1: Yeah, those are, those are excellent examples, and, and there are, as, 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 as you detail in your, in your wonderful introduction to this volume, that there's a distinctly American history of this concept as well. Um, how has this, sh- this idea of national covenant shaped our own history, and, and why has it faded um, in recent times?
2: Well, so if you look back to the beginning of the history of the United States of America as the United States, 1776, of course, uh, the first founding document was the Declaration of Independence, in which the founders talk about the laws of nature and nature's God, and they call God the creator. Now, we know that most of the famous found, you know, founders were not Orthodox Christians. They were deists. However, they they talked about this country as a Christian country, um, and many of the unfamous founders were Orthodox Christians, but the famous ones were more 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 deistic, and yet um, uh, they they talked about the Christian God, and the, and and uh, um, uh, it's right there in the first founding document, the Declaration of Independence, and and even the Declaration of Independence, uh, the words are an illustration of their belief that God deals with whole nations as nations, and so um, they, they, uh, in that declaration, they are calling the British to account, the King and Parliament, for his violations of what they considered to be uh, the laws of the Creator God, nature's God. Um, so, so they sort of um, dedicate the United States to to uh, the Christian God, and early, and all the early founders and all the in, uh, uh, in in the first century of this country talk about this country as a Christian um, country. Um, no matter what we want to say in hindsight, you know about un un Christian principles like slavery. Uh, nevertheless, they saw. This country as a Christian country. Now, um, when you look at perhaps our greatest political theologian in the history of this country, Abraham Lincoln, uh, in his second inaugural address, and also in 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 uh, um, uh, some of his speeches on uh, days of prayer, he explicitly says, and the second inaugural is the perfect illustration of this, that. Um, God is dealing with us as a nation and God allowed the civil war to come to us and kill 600,000 of us, both North and South because of our sin of slavery, of holding black people in bondage. This is the national covenant. Perfect illustration of the national covenant is it's as clear as day that Abraham Lincoln, um, Uh, believed in the National Covenant, talked in those terms, and all of his listeners uh, thoroughly understood what he was saying because they, too, believed in the National Covenant. Now, you move up to Martin Luther King Jr. He also, now, he didn't use the term National Covenant, but he used the term Covenant, and he clearly thought about America as being under God and under God's judgment and under God's administration. Uh, He talked about the beloved community, which was his ideal, which he said, goes back to to, uh, the Bible, uh, the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament, the principle of love for enemies taught by both testaments, Jewish and Christian, and our necessity for healing by returning to God's principles as as taught in both these uh, testaments, especially Jesus' teaching of love for enemies. That's the national covenant. He talked about our need for national healing by returning to the biblical principles of the beloved community. Um, Now, you asked about why this has faded in more recent times, because of the Vietnam War. That's when all this dropped out and Americans rejected this idea that God deals with us as a nation uh, you know, Jews rejected it. America, uh, uh, Christians rejected it. And ever since then, most, most American Jews and American Christians both would say that God only deals with us as individuals. He doesn't deal with us as a whole nation. Um, and it's because the Vietnam War, we lost confidence in our virtue as a nation, number one. Um, the idea of the nation having a special relationship with God struck many as idolatrous and talk about the United States as a redeemer nation, which was language used in the 19th and 20th centuries for America's role in the world. And particularly because of the Vietnam War, uh, uh, many believed that the reason why we got into the war and the war eventually became a very unpopular war was because we thought of ourselves as a redeemer nation that we had to remake every other nation in our own image and our defeat in the Vietnam War proved that that idea was wrong. And we should never again uh, think that uh, we are especially called by God or even that God deals with us as a nation at all. So since the Vietnam War, that's why this idea of national covenant has dropped out. Uh, But we are saying in this book that we need to retrieve it for other purposes.
1: Now, one of those—I mean, the paramount other purpose that you discussed, and you brought a historical analog of Abraham Lincoln's use of the National Covenant in defense of the Civil War and eventual abolition. You brought Martin Luther King's conception of the beloved community as a form of this National Covenant idea. That's something that he sought to use to build a racially reconciled— society. How does, how does the conversation that we're having currently about race, how does the reintroduction of National Covenant into that conversation bring us closer to that ideal?
2: Well, um, by using the rich spiritual and theological resources of the National Covenant tradition, such as the, ex- the idea of exile, is huge. Uh, And that comes from ancient Israel, of course, in the Old Testament, that twice God sent Israel into exile because of their violation of their covenant with him. Um, But this idea of exile is a richly uh, 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 useful concept um, because behind it is the idea that a whole nation can commit a mortal sin as it were, a deathly sin. That's that's what mortal means. And God would send it in an exile as God a kind of exile. And so when ancient Israel was sent into exile twice, God told the nation through its prophets how to get back, how, how to return from exile. And so Um, For most of the authors of this book, our uh, racial conflicts in this country have been a kind of exile for our mortal sin of slavery and then Jim Crow. And so if we have this terrible, these terrible divisions in our country now over race, maybe we're in this exile. And the question is, how do we get out of exile? And um, in the book. The various contributors uh, trying to answer that question, and and they all believe we can come out of exile. We we can find the spiritual healing, and the reconciliation, and these are all you know biblical concepts that are that that are in this rich national covenant tradition. And it also is full of hope because the biblical God in the national covenant tradition redeems from exile. He brings nations out of exile, just as he did did to ancient Israel. Um, uh, He brings them back to the land after they've uh, been punished and after they repent. Um, So God can still redeem a nation. God can still redeem this nation. And there are spiritual resources for us in in this rich tradition that we can learn from and we can use to find racial reconciliation in our country.
1: That's a wonderful, wonderful overview. This, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a category, a way of thinking about these things, which gives meaning to some of the tragic and horrible events of our history gives us a way of conceiving of our own responsibility for that and gives us a faith and purpose to work towards reconciliation. That's really wonderful. And the contributors to this volume interact with the idea of national covenant in a variety of ways. Could you give us a quick overview of of, of how some of these varying contributors bring their varying expertise, their varying experiences, uh, to fill this out in, in in practical ways.
2: Sure, Dan. So in the first chapter, Joshua Berman, who is a legendary um, Old Testament scholar from Israel, talks about Ruth and Rahab in the Old Testament and lessons we can learn about race from them. In chapter two, Mitch Rockland, uh, he's another rabbi, Jewish scholar, uh, talks about the concept of exile and return. And he tells the story of his grandparents who were Holocaust survivors and how he had always hated Germany and would always pay extra money when he traveled abroad not to land in Germany. And then how by being a chaplain in the US Army and having to work with German chaplains, over in Iraq, he came to a realization that the new generation of Germans is different and they've learned their lessons and he should be able to treat them differently, if not forgive, at least treat them differently and see them differently from their fathers and grandfathers. In chapter uh, three, Mark Tooley, who's the president of the Institute on Religion and Democracy in Washington DC, talks about the national covenant in American churches. And he says, it's interesting, isn't it? That the religious left and the evangelical left, and of course there's a lot of overlap there, reject the national covenant in principle as most Americans do, but they speak and act as if America is under divine judgment. That's the national covenant. Um, but but the religious left is unable to imagine the possibility of redemption. And that's why the National Covenant is all the more needed. Uh, uh, and even you know, a lot of people on the religious right don't get this National Covenant. Uh, in Chapter four, James Patterson at Ave Maria University, he's a historian Uh, writes a whole chapter on Martin Luther King Jr. and his idea of the American covenant, how God deals with America. And we've already talked about that a little bit. In chapter five, Joshua Mitchell, who's a very distinguished uh, historian at Georgetown University, writes writes about identity politics um, and criticizes it. And he says, the problem with identity politics is that one group of Americans is guilty and another group of Americans is innocent just by virtue of their race, but there's no possibility of redemption. And only the idea of covenant and particularly national covenant can heal the wounds. Chapter six is by William Allen, a distinguished political scientist from Michigan State University on race and economics. And this would be particularly interesting for, 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 for people that acted. Um, the question of human agency and he wrestles with the thesis that has been, has become more and more accepted these days, that a people can have liberty only if they have material security. And he, he's skeptical of that thesis. And he looks at that thesis um, in the thinking, what he would say is the wrong thinking of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, Lyndon Johnson, President Johnson, and even Martin Luther King. Now, he's African-American, and and he's critical of King on this score. It's interesting. Uh, Chapter 7 is by Glenn Lowry, the distinguished economist at Brown University, now um, seemingly everywhere in newspapers and podcasts and all sorts of interviews on the question of race in America. And his chapter is also on exile and return. He calls for a transracial humanism. He says, not all moral um, dilemmas are justice dilemmas and not all inequality is the result of unfairness. Then chapter eight is by Jacqueline Rivers at the Seymour Institute in Boston, uh, an African-American sociologist. And she talks about the um, marriage and family in the black community. And she says, there's work needed here. and talks about what work is needed and how, how how we as Americans, black and white and Hispanic and Asian uh, can help the black, um, the black families heal. Chapter nine uh, is an extraordinary title, I think. Little Black Lives Matter, the National Covenant and the Right to Be Born by Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. She says that abortion is the greatest violence in America today against blacks. Chapter 10 is by Carol Swain, another African-American political and legal thinker, uh, just retired from Vanderbilt University Law School. She tells her own story, growing up black and poor in rural Virginia. And she says, we should think of ourselves as Americans and those of us who are Christians as, as, as Christians not as members of racial subgroups. Chapter 11 is by Derek Green, another African-American thinker, uh, political scientist. This chapter is titled Black Churches and the National Covenant. And his his is a quite, um, I'd say arresting chapter. He argues, Dr. Green argues that the black church has moved from being this country's moral leader at the height of the civil rights movement in the 1960s, to, uh, it's lost its moral leadership because he charges and and, uh, he tries to prove it with much evidence. The, um, it has moved or they have moved. So many of the black churches have moved from preaching a gospel of grace to a gospel of race. Um, Chapter 12, is by Osvaldo Padilla from Beeson Divinity School on the Hispanic churches and the National Covenant. And he argues that the Hispanic churches, which typically are a mixed race, can provide a model um, for American churches, uh, a model for what Jesus envisioned and the New Testament envisions, particularly in the book of Revelation, for the new creation and the churches, the new creation. Uh, people, f- from, from various um, diverse nations and ethnic groups. Um, chapter 13 is from the very distinguished uh, activist, Robert Woodson, civil rights activist from the 1960s, who's on TV quite a bit these days talking about race. Uh, and Robert uh, Woodson is the founding director of the Woodson Center um, and his chapter is on school choice. He says, this is about the best thing we can do as a country for inner city uh, you know, people, um, whether they be Black, Hispanic, um, or whatever ethnic group, so that they can get an education. And, and the parents in these families can, can uh, will not be locked into horrible schools in the inner city, but will have a choice um, to go to a decent school. Uh, Chapter 14 is by Timothy George, uh, founding Dean of Beeson Divinity School called Geography, History and Eternity. And he talks among other things about President Warren Harding in 1920 and Hugo Black, who was a member of the KKK who later became a justice on the Supreme Court. And finally in the epilogue, the legendary preacher, uh, um, Robert Smith, one of the greatest black preachers in America, also at Beeson Divinity School, does a wonderful epilogue called I Don't Want No Trouble at the River. And it's an exposition of Joshua 22, where two and a half of the tribes of ancient Israel were misunderstood by the rest of the 12 tribes and they narrowly avoided war and the lessons we can learn from them about how they avoided war and how we in this country can heal our racial wounds
1: one of the things that i love about this book is the diversity of perspectives and the interdisciplinary nature in which this is explored part of it is a historical sort of resourcement of a, of an earlier theological tradition part of it is giving a constructive way to reconceptualize our own identities part of it is a way of examining practices, communities, uh, efforts led by nonprofits to handle these questions. what are What are some lessons that you think that Americans can learn from this book to help our nation move towards racial reconciliation?
2: And I'd say there's five. First, to reclaim the National and Covenant Tradition, as I've been suggesting, particularly the theme of exile and return. How do you return from exile as a nation? Second, the reconciliation of memories, that we should not forget the sins of the past and the pain of the past. But we should also realize that things change over time. And this country in 2020 is not the country of 1960, and certainly not 1860. Uh, Things have changed. Third, anthropological, we should all keep more in mind what we share as blacks and whites and Asians and uh, Hispanics, the image of God. And if we're in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we share a whole lot more. We share God's word and, and the riches of worshiping the true God, the God of Israel. Um, focus on what we share rather than what divides us. Fourth, we should point to the tremendous opportunity that America still provides. This is still a land of opportunity, enormous opportunity. Carol Swain, I think, says it well in her chapter. What we believe, what a young person, and she's talking specifically about Black black young people, what a young person believes is far more important for them and to their future success, than what economic class they're in, rich, middle class, or poor, or what what color skin they have. And if, if young people believe that this country is out to get them, that the system is rigged against them, they will not work as they should to take advantage of the wonderful opportunities this country still does provide. But if they believe that this is a land of opportunity, there's no stopping their success. And number five, we need to cry out to God. Now scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. We need to cry out to God to enable us as a nation to forgive our enemies and to open ourselves up to new thinking and new ways of being that bring spiritual healing.
1: When I was an undergraduate student I had a a professor who used to always say that the only the only real answer to this question whenever we got into a thorny moral question in 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 literature was Jesus Christ. Mm. And there is a way in which the, this volume looks at a very tragic very pained very real problems in our society and and causes us to direct ourselves to God in as, as the way of healing that fifth point I think I think is is so essential in how we view the crises of the world today is there is there any any sort of closing comments? along those lines that, that, that you would like to share or, or, or reflections that you've gained for yourself in, in you looking through the world in this framework.
2: Right. So I agree. God is the only answer, um, you know, whether we be Jews or Christians or secularists in this country. Um, and you know, you know, uh, you know, two of our great authors in this book are rabbis, um, But in in closing, Dan, I would say this country is not the new Israel. God's covenant with Jewish Israel was unique and not to be repeated. But the God of the Bible does suggest that he rules other nations with their own covenants and and that his ways of ruling them are, are not completely unlike the ways he ruled ancient Israel. Time and again, biblical Israel sinned against the covenant in major ways and several times, as we said, God sent that nation into exile, but God was faithful to his covenant promises and brought the Israelites back to their land after they renewed their covenant promises. God will do the same for our country if we turn back to our national covenant. Now, these things are impossible for men, but all things are possible for God, so I would say. Let us pray and let us work for that return from exile. It will bring healing for our land.
1: Jerry, I can't think of a better way to end. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: You're welcome. You know, it was my great privilege. Thanks for having me on, Dan.
0: As always, thank you so much for listening today. Our team loves putting this show together for you every week, and it's so encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can reach our team at actinline at actin.org. Until next week, for Act In Line, I'm Eric Cohn.